Welcome to the Cap City Church podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday message. We pray that you're encouraged and challenged as you listen to it. Enjoy. We are in Exodus, and I love how God works. Um, last week, I was meant to be speaking, and um, me and Luke had a conversation, as we often do, and just decided on a whim that he would speak last week for various different reasons, and that I would speak this week. But I love when God intervenes in the Monday. Because there is no way that God did not want Luke to speak about what he spoke on last week. No way. And God knew that we need to hear the words that Luke was sharing with us. And if I can encourage you, please go back and listen to last week, especially if you are discouraged or despondent. There is a hope that we have. And we're going to be talking about that today a little more. So we just remind ourselves of the story so far. We have seen Moses be born into a world where his people are experiencing the worst kind of oppression and became an orphan and adopted, growing up in a foreign household with a wet nurse that was likely his birth mother, made in Chelsea, eat your heart out with the drama. He grew up in the Egyptian culture with an understanding of Hebrew background. And as he grew up, one of the next significant things he did amongst others was he murdered an Egyptian, causing him to have to flee all that he knew and take up residence in a desert place with another band of people that he wasn't sure about. He learned how to become a shepherd, and whilst out with the flock, he saw a burning bush, which we've already heard about, and God shared that his name was Yahweh, and Moses was given a task. Now, the thing about that moment is that Moses was given everything that he needed to complete that task in that moment, but we are seeing time and again that Moses doesn't think he has everything that he needs to complete the task. He comes back into Egypt to try and deliver the message that he's been asked to deliver, and the outcome is not favorable. The Israelites are subjugated to a worse state of slavery than they were before, and that all that is left for Moses and the Israelites is disappointment and defeat. Listen back, it's amazing. If you can. We are going to look in Exodus 6, if you are with us and you want to follow in your Bible. Um, And I want to tie up a few things that we've already heard, but also how this passage is significant, not only in and of itself, but in the fulfillment of what has already been and in the fulfillment of what is to come. Exodus 6 is a very important chapter. That's the other reason why Luke gave it to me. We're going to read. Um, I'm reading from the NLT just to make it easier. It is up on the screen, but please follow along. Exodus 6, starting at verse 1. Then the Lord told Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh when he feels the force of my strong hand, and he will let my people go. In fact, he will force them to leave this land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, that is God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them under its terms. I promised to give them the land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I've heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. 
I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. So Moses told the people, it were in uh, verse 9, so Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, that, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him to let the people of Israel leave his country. But the Lord, Moses, objected. My own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I'm such a clumsy speaker. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders for the Israelites and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. If you've ever, ever had a story, a great story has a setup. This is a setup for something. The language in this, uh, the start of this is amazing. And what we're going to look at this morning is three things. We're going to look at declaring, um, we're going to look at what God is doing, sorry, not just what's happening. We're going to look specifically at what God is doing. He's doing three things just in these, these, uh, this short passage. He's declaring what he has done. He's revealing who he is, and he is promising what he is going to do. So he's declaring what he has done. In verse 2 it says, God said to Moses, I am Yahweh the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them. He is reminding Moses of, of the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, for those of us who aren't sure, a covenant is a partnership between man and God. It is where God makes a promise and asks us as humans to fulfill certain commitments to that promise. We see this happen throughout the Bible, and this covenant was this covenant, covenant specifically with Abraham was the promise that God would multiply that family, that that family would be blessed, and then subsequently all of the families of the world would be blessed through this covenant. This covenant was made so that God could bless all the people of the world through this one family. Now the problem up until this point that we've read in, in the Old Testament, and if you read it chronologically, you'll see this, that pretty much every covenant commitment that God has made and asked humans to made, make, they have failed. It's just the way it is. God's promise haven't, hasn't failed, but man's commitment has. Even in the light of us breaking our our end of the bargain, God is still promising to us what his covenant is. I don't know if you've noticed in that moment, I lost my notes. This is God saying, look, I see that you have failed, and I know that things haven't gone the way that you thought or planned, but I know what's going on, and I promise that my covenant remains true. Will you recommit? And this is true for us. Abraham, the covenant that came down to Abraham was a covenant that his family would be blessed. And that family of these Israelites now in Egypt that are slaves, it feels as though that covenant has been broken. And often we think that it's God that broke the covenant, but it wasn't, it was man. We broke the covenant. 
Now, what's great about Scripture is that if you read it, there is always, always hope. In Romans 4, it says this of Abraham, and I find this interesting myself. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us of righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. What an interesting start of that. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. If you read the story of Abraham, that is not true. He did waver. He tried to take matters into his own hands because he was getting old and he wasn't having any children. He basically made the sex slave of, a, of Hagar, his wife's servant, setting up strife and suffering for, that lasted for generations. But we read here in Romans how faithful Abraham was. Now, is the scripture contradicting itself? I don't think it is. But why is that? You know, we can't, we can't read the story of Abraham and, and reason through his actions to be faithful. We just can't do that. So the only logical explanation that we have to take from this is that God is faithful. If you are experienced disappointment, I want to encourage you to go back last week. I've said it already, but listen to last week's because it gives you hope. But let me say this, you are not disqualified in any way because your journey has been ropey. Abraham, Abraham's journey was ropey at best. You are not disqualified. To have faith sometimes is not knowing what God is doing, but trusting he knows what he's doing. We want to be in charge, don't we? We want to know everything that's going on. We want to be in control of our own destiny and our own life. I want to know what's coming. I want to know the end game. But the problem is, is that that requires zero faith. It was said best last week, and I wanted to get it on, on recording. Keisha said it about a devastating story that this woman was going through, and she said this, I understand God less, but I trust him more. What a phrase to say in somebody who's going through so much deep and dark uh, destruction that their faith is wavering and ropey at best, that they can say, I understand God less, but I trust him more. That they can have it said about them that, that Abraham or this woman or, or you or me never wavered in believing God's promise. You know, it's not about knowing everything, but it's about knowing the one who knows everything. God is promising and declaring what he has done. He's saying, this has not changed. I have remained faithful. I will bring out the covenant promises that I declared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can I encourage you that if you feel as though your, your walk is ropey at best, that that does not disqualify you from a life of true faith. If you trust in the one who knows what he's doing. 
Point two is this. God, in these passages, are revealing who he is. Oh, spilt coffee on my face. It's good, isn't it? It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh when he feels the force of my strong hand. He will let my people go. In fact, he will force them to leave. Which, by the way, you should take account of. Not that he's just going to let his people go, that Pharaoh's going to force them to leave. These are things that we look over, but remember these. These are going to be important. And then God said to Moses, I am Yahweh the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. In this moment, God is reminding Moses, firstly, of his recent history. You saw me in the burning bush. That moment that I declared my name to be Yahweh. Saying again, I am who I am. It says here, to previous generations, God revealed himself in terms of character and virtues expressed in the title, God Almighty. Now what he's saying is, you know me, Yahweh. You know my name. I am showing myself not just by my attributes, but by the eternal, unchangeable relationship that I want with you. I am sharing with you me. I am. And like I said about a good setup, God is ready to reveal who he is. You know, the plan throughout this whole narrative of the Bible, what you have from start to finish in this book is that God is making a way for us to have a relationship with him. Since Adam and Eve ate the fruit and lost their ability to commune freely with God, it has been God's plan and purpose to restore that relationship. And we read it on pretty much every page, including the one we've just read. Cain and Abel... He wanted to restore relationship and it failed. Noah wanted to restore relationship and it failed. Abraham failed. Jacob and his sons failed, maybe with the exception of Joseph, but he wasn't perfect. But you're reading throughout Genesis and this start of Exodus, pretty much every time God's desire to restore relationship happens with man, that man fail. Are you all encouraged? <laughs> This story that we are reading now is another way that God is trying to make a way for relational restoration. Through his chosen people, this this covenant that he made with Abraham, through his chosen people, his desire is to restore relationship to them first in order for everyone else to experience the blessing of that relationship. So God is saying to Moses here, remember I am Yahweh. I have a name. I have a name. I'm not a nameless, faceless God full of attributes. I am Yahweh. And for some of us here, we have forgotten that God has a name. For us, That name is Jesus. I just want to pull out of the Exodus story a little bit because this attaches to that. And and I will read this verse until the day I die, I think, because I love it. 
But in Philippians, it says this. Therefore, God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has a name and that name for us is Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He gave up everything to restore relationship with us. Some of us fear the name of Jesus because we're worried that our faith journey is too wobbly. And some of us have just lost the name of Jesus because we've had disappointment in our lives. But God is constantly, constantly trying to draw us in, not just to all of his attributes, but into that loving relationship. You know me. You know who I am. Thirdly, God is doing this in this passage. He is promising what he's going to do. The Egyptian pharaoh sat effectively as God. So we're looking in an environment where, where Pharaoh, the person that Moses has been speaking to, that, that person sits effectively as God, right? You understand that? We have talked about this. They put themselves in the position as if they were a physical representation of God themselves. And Yahweh, our God, is setting out his stall. Before he proves what he can do and will do to Egypt and their foreign gods, he is going to show Moses and his people the promises that he has for them. I don't know if I can up the excitement anymore of what's to come. Like, God is going to do business in this book. Like, trust me, this is going somewhere. God is setting out the stall. This Pharaoh has set himself up as God and said, I don't know your God. And God is going, fine. Giving you a chance. Let me show you who I am. But I am going to shore up and secure what my people know about me. And this is what he says in verse 6. He says, therefore, say to the people of Israel... He's saying this to Moses, because Moses is asking the question. Say this to the people of Israel. I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as your very own possession, I am the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament and across Scripture, there are numbers that are really significant. And seven is a significant number. It it represents wholeness and completeness. And so when you see things in series of seven, there's lots that go on. And this, there are seven I will statements in in this moment. And this is what they say. They say this, I will bring you out from under your oppression in Egypt deliver you from slavery, redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment, claim you as my own people, 
be your God, bring you into a new land, give this land to you as your own possession. I will. This is a complete number. This seven, every time you read in series of seven, think completeness, wholeness. God talks in wholeness language. And I love that in this, God is specific. He says, I will bring you out from the land of Egypt and you will no longer be slaves. And then the last two promises as well. It says that God will bring them into a new land, but also give it to them as their possession. Sometimes I think we think that it's obvious, you know, like sometimes it's like, I will take you out of the land of Egypt. And everyone goes, well, of course then we're not going to be slaves. But often we miss the obvious when we are under stress or anxiety. How often do we say, I know God is good, but what we neglect is that means he's good to me. Or, I understand that God's nature and who he is is love and that he loves all people, but we forget that means I am loved by him. So God, in his grace, is not just saying, I'm going to take you out of the land of Egypt. He's saying, you will no longer be slaves. He's making sure they know. And again, he says, not just that he will bring them into this new land, this covenant that was made with Abraham generations ago. He's not just saying, I will bring you into this new land. He's saying, I will give that land to you as your own possession. And for me, there are two things that are happening Two challenges that we have. One is the challenge for the people who are just under so much stress and anxiety that they hear the first and neglect the second because it feels too much. I know that God is good. I just want to encourage you to take the step to say in your heart and in your spirit, that means God is good to me. I know that the attribute, one of the main attributes of God is love. Take the next step into I know that he loves me. And for some of us, I think our faith journey is going, oh yeah, I understand that God is going to bring us into a new land. Well, it might not be promised to us. He might not give it to us. We do that thing of going, yeah, we're going to proclaim the first bit because that's really easy to proclaim because it doesn't require us to stick our mast in a place. We can say, God will bring us into a new land and let's make it as ambiguous as possible so that if anything happens, it doesn't matter, I can still believe. But what God is challenging us to do is say, not just that he's bringing us into a new land, but that we will have it as our own possession. God is not just saying that there are people that need his love. He's saying, you need to share it. You be the ones that bring life. You share your testimony. You go into the world and make disciples. Not just that God can, but that he will. Declare it if you can. For some of us, we just need that. We need to be more willing to stick our stakes in the ground. God understands the Israelites' position. He knows what is happening, and he's taking the time and care to be really, really specific. 
towards the end of what I've just read, it says, So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. So here's the first bit of what I know to be sure. God has a promise that is true. And here's the second bit that we need to be brave with. That promise is for you. God has a name and that name is Yahweh and for us it is Jesus. And God has a plan that is specific and we've got to be willing to take the step out of the ambiguous and into faith. If you're only halfway there because of discouragement or frustration or unrealized dreams, we get it. The Israelites were discouraged by brutality of their slavery. It recognizes the place in which those people are. It does, not go, it does not pass over it. It sees that they are discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. God can be such a soft presence when we need him to be. And for some of us, we are just discouraged or frustrated. Or we have dreams that we believe were ours and they have not come to fruition. And I won't go into discouragement because we have, we have talked about that previously and you can go back and listen. Goes on to say, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back to Pharaoh the king of Egypt and tell him to let the people of Israel leave his country. But the Lord, but Lord, Moses objected, My own people won't listen anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? Such a clumsy speaker. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them the orders for the Israelites and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Now we have the beauty of hindsight reading this story. We know, we know kind of what's coming. We can read forward. We can, we can kind of see the conclusion of Moses' life. But he, at this moment, Moses only knows discouragement and pain. But what is happening the Lord is remaining consistent in what he is saying. You will leave the land of Egypt. The Pharaoh will let my people go. So even as Moses is objecting, saying, giving good reason, my, my own people won't listen to me anymore. You've called me to be this leader, but the people that I'm leading are making a fool of me. I, I can't do it. And he comes back to his clumsy speaker speech, which I think is just, for me, that's his thorn in his side. He constantly talks about how much of a clumsy speaker he is. But then when you read his actual words, he's actually all right. Keeps coming back to it. But we all do. No judgment, Moses. You're a good man. But, he, but the Lord keeps speaking to Moses and Aaron, giving them the same thing. He keeps, the Lord keeps commanding to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. The Lord God is consistent with his messaging. If you want a perfect marketing manager, it's going to be God, right? He's so consistent and sure with his messaging. Every time we read something in this book, it is constantly about our redemption and restoration. And at the moment, for me, I kind of feel like Moses because I'm going, oh, my excuses. Um, oh, I'm tired. 
Oh, I'm too old. I can't speak very well. God, no, don't make me do it. And some of you know my journey up until this point, and the majority of you will know that I've had a really rough couple of months, just, just generally, just with God doing what God's doing. And, and for me, my personal journey has been that thing where God is saying, my message for you has been consistent. You've got to be willing to step out and do it. And for some of us, that's the same. For some of us, we struggle. We find it hard. We don't know what to do. For some of us, it's discouragement and just hurt and pain. And so we're forgetting that God is, can be really specific with us and for, for the promises he has for our lives. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This whole passage is setting up what is to come further on in this story. And he's doing these three things. He's declaring what he has done. He's revealing who he is. And he is promising what he's going to do. His faithfulness never wavers. This story is going to get epic, guys. Just telling you, really excited. But there is something about the gravitas in this moment of God speaking. Of God, of God preparing Moses and Aaron and the Israelites. However they're feeling, whatever state they're in, whatever trials and tribulations they're going through in life, God is just making himself sure in who they are. And God wants to do the same with us. God wants to make himself sure in whatever situation we are in life. One thing that has been kind of a bit of a mantra over the last couple of weeks and months that has been a grudging one and then has become, you know, I've gone through all of the different layers of, it's been in anger, frustration, pain, and then resignation, and now it's becoming a promise is, when my understanding fails, I'm going to trust him and keep moving forward. And for some of us, that we're going, when my understanding fails, I'm going to trust him keep moving forward and then we turn in the opposite direction just for a little bit of obstinance because we like to do that and for some of us we have to declare it in our lives because we're in such a desperate state when my understanding fails I'm going to trust him and keep moving forward I just want to finish with one of my uh, favorite stories in the bible and then we're going to we're going to respond but there's this story where Jesus is talking um, to a bunch of his disciples, like not just the 12, but a whole bunch of people. And he's talking in really strange language. I'm pretty sure it's in John 6. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and he is talking about um, how you can only come into the kingdom of heaven if you drink my blood and you eat my flesh. And he keeps talking in this language about drinking blood and eating flesh. Drinking blood, eating flesh. And everyone's like, how is that even possible? Because um, he talks about the bread of life first. Everyone's like, well, give us this bread of life. And then Jesus says, it's my blood and my flesh. And then they're all grumbling and going, well, this can't be possible because it's Jesus. We know he's from Nazareth. But God doubles down and he says, it's my blood and flesh. And he just carries on. And it's like this really strange passage that even is difficult for us to understand at this point. And it talks about how loads of disciples left that day. Loads of them left. 
And then he turns to his 12, he turns to the 12 disciples and he says, are you leaving too? And Simon Peter says this, Lord, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Now I think the way that I interpret that is, Lord, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And as I was speaking to a few people this week, they kind of brought my brain around to, but Lord, where else can we go now? Because you have the words of eternal life. There's a difference in it. There is literally nowhere else. They have recognized that there is nowhere else they can go because Lord has the words of eternal life and they would love to go somewhere else. They would love to, but they just know they can't. They're stuck. So Simon Peter is going, I can't go anywhere else. I'm stuck with you. And sometimes that's what it's like with God. We've got to be honest in his presence. I'm stuck with you. I would love to go somewhere else, but I know deep down it would be rubbish. Stop talking about blood and flesh. And so God is saying to us, If we're looking in this story and that story, God is saying to us, where are you going? Where can you go? Where should you go? And he's asking us that question, not in an aggressive way. Are you going to? Because he gives us the option of freedom. And I for one know that I want my free choice to be, where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. And I'm going to stay here in the pain and suffering that I'm feeling. But I know that you are good. And because of that, that means you are good to me. I'm going to hold on to the promises where I can. So church, can we respond? We can respond by standing or sitting in a posture that is just uh, before the Lord. Um, If you want to put your hands out, if you want to bow your head, if you want to stand and raise your arms, just in a posture that puts you in a position of vulnerability before God. However that looks, have the freedom to do that. I like to stand personally because it's effort. So for me, there is a um, if I'm si- for me personally, if I'm sitting, um, please don't feel as though you have to stand. I'm just sharing my personal thing. If I'm sitting, I feel as though that it's easier for me. So for me personally, I stand. I also stand because it actually focuses my brain better. When I'm sat down, for some reason, my brain goes all over the place. But find yourself a place where you can just be before the Lord, however that is. And the first thing I want you to do is just take a deep breath physically but also uh, metaphorically of the Spirit of God into your life. Just take a deep breath of the Spirit of God. Let God declare what he has done in your life. Reveal who he is in your life and show you promises of what he's going to do.
Be honest before your God, the one who has a name, Yahweh, whose name is Jesus. Be honest before him. He knows anyway. He'd prefer your honesty. Verses 6 and 7 in this Exodus passage are kind of like a linchpin for this first half of this book. Really important statement. God is saying to Moses to say to the people of Israel, to say to us, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. God declares who he is in our lives. Where else can we go? For it's only God that has the words of eternal life. Lord, we, we wait on you. We ask that you speak to us in, in our desperation and our pain and our circumstances. For those of us who need to be starting to stick stakes in the ground, Lord, speak to us. Let us hold on to the promises that you have, Lord, not just the ones that we know to be true outwardly, but ones that affect our heart deeply. Lord, we ask that you, you deal with us gently when our words are angry and our heart is discouraged. And Lord, for some of us, you deal with us strongly where our attitude is apathetic and our mind is distracted. Lord, we need you. There is no one else like you. So we wait on you just for a few more moments. Set our hearts before you. Bring our prayers, our personal struggles, our, our personal desires towards you before we lift you up in praise and adoration. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about us, visit our website, capcitycardiff.org.uk.